Hi, and welcome to the World Networking Podcast. Today's episode features Fritz Beyer. He joins us with experience around the world and various atmospheres, official and non-official of uh, travel and, and leisure through trials and tribulations of six years. He's compiled his book to near completion. Uh, and it's in the publishing stages now, being edited as we speak. I look forward to reading his book, and I hope that everyone enjoys the show we have today. As I feel like we had a really good discussion together, and the connection around nature was really relevant here, and that was something I enjoyed about the show. I know you will too. So open up and sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the World Networking Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the World Networking Podcast. Fritz, would you like to... Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I just, uh, I was, I was, I was waiting for my part. <laughs> you were expecting me to screw your name up again. I, I almost... I, I was. I saw you... Stop. Um, let me hesitate there a little bit. It is buyer. Good job. Uh, I'm a 64 year old guy. I live here out here in Hawaii. Um, um, retired military officer and have written a book about my uh, adoption search and um, uh, discovery and reunion with my birth families. But you know, uh, I as we've uh, chatted before, you know, Cameron, I, I'm I'm a military brat, so I was raised in this whole environment uh, military environment as a kid and i moved around all over the place and uh, uh and then subsequently joined the military myself obviously and then uh found myself here after a long uh a long uh, 20 years of military service in hawaii and is it's my home um ironically my wife and i are moving to germany in a couple of weeks uh, just for a couple of years so that'll be fun wow yeah that's a great switch yeah, I know. Sorry. Yeah, it is. Um, and we just had the opportunity, um, you know, uh, because we still work for, you know, the Department of Defense and everything as a retired military, um, as civilians. Uh, we can uh, we can travel with them, you know, travel really essentially like we were in the military. So we get orders and then we move. And uh, so, um, yeah, we're going to Stuttgart, Germany, and uh, and my son will come here and uh, keep our house and hopefully keep the cats alive and uh, and not not kill my plants and, and things like that like that. So um, anyway, so that's that's sort of what's immediately in the you know immediate future here for us. But uh, yeah, anyway. I've got a real quick interjection on that. Sure. Um, it, is gardening kind of one of the things you like to do in your pastime in Hawaii? Oh, oh yeah. You know, I mean, Hawaii, you, you can plant a broomstick and it'll grow. So, I yeah. mean, it's not hard, right? But uh, I do have a green thumb and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And uh, so where we, you know, we live... Um, uh, not on the beach, you know, so we're kind of up, up in the mountains a little bit. And, uh, uh, so at about 800 feet, which for Hawaii, you know, is, you know, for the rest of the continental United States, of course, it's like, yeah, I live at 5,000 feet or whatever in Denver or somewhere like that. But, uh, um, but here, you know, that's somewhat up, up the hill, so to speak. And so we get good rain and we get a lot of sunshine and, uh, um, I can plant stuff and it just goes crazy. I mean, I, I grow peppers and, uh, citrus and all kinds of stuff and i don't really have a big garden so it, it's 
it's uh, kicking butt. <laughs> well, no, that's exciting. I, I just, uh, I had to ask. We have quite a few plant lovers that follow the show, and and uh, yeah, that's that's a always interesting topic, uh, agriculture these days. Sure. Yeah, I could. Um, I, I won't, but I could talk about plants. <laughs> I, I like them. My wife has the cats, you know. So and and they they treat me with disdain, to be honest with you. So um, oh, man, um, plants don't you know argue back, and if you take care of them, they're they're good to you. Absolutely. No, yeah. there's a lot of things to be thankful for with plants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I've actually just had some jerky. I still have pepper in my in my tooth. <laughs> that still, it's 30 minutes later, still burning. Yeah. It's amazing, you know, these, these uh, structures of organic yeah. matter that, that just yeah. produce various things that we couldn't we couldn't dream of making without nature's help. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's uh you know one of the things. I mean, you know, I've got uh, everything to you know all the herbs and stuff like that because I like to cook too. So you know, it's like I got all the herbs that I need, and uh, and uh, you know, I don't I don't have to go to the store to get lemon juice or you know any of that kind of thing. And uh, um, I got a fig tree and a bunch of other stuff that's uh, good. So you know, I like I said, I like to bake and I like to cook. So I typically step out, go down around the corner snip off what i need come back up and do my thing so it works out hey hey that's awesome i yeah. uh, you know at least it's interactive right and yeah definitely work that you can love yeah and, absolutely uh, it's very fulfilling anyway we'll leave it at that i guess no 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 it, it's uh it's just really uh something that i know we can get deeper into so i'm trying to try not to dwell too long because yeah yeah like like you mentioned gardening's a, a thick plot <laughs> yeah. that was a clever pun you did well it's a thick, <laughs> thick plot hey thank you thank you uh well are there any other fun facts you have to share about yourself Fritz? uh you know well i i i um I mean, I make a really good tiramisu. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived, uh, you know, I've lived kind of many places across the country and in, in Italy for a couple of years. That's where I learned how to make tiramisu. tiramisu. And uh, I guess uh, I've climbed, climbed Mount Fuji <clears throat> twice. Um, you know, um, you know me from my uh, our little backpacking encounter um, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess those are fun facts. I've got. Um, I mean, I think they're fun, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in fact, actually, if you want to go ahead and elaborate on that for our viewers, how did we meet? Yeah, well, um, you know, I uh, uh, to, to not make it an incredibly long story, but um, as a kid, I loved to backpack, and uh, I was with scouts, and like a lot of us were, and um, our scout troop was pretty bad at like actually doing merit badges but we were pretty good at camping and uh and and uh backpacking and stuff so as a kid i did that and uh and then you know you grow up and you get busy and you have kids and you have a life and you know you're uh suddenly 40 or 50 years old and and I'm, i tell people it wasn't a crisis it was just a revelation you know but at some point i was like hey uh what is it i really like to do and um one of those things was um backpacking and so um i you know went out and said you know i'm gonna I'm going to start backpacking again. And so, uh, you know, I went out and bought all this gear and everything. And of course it was all the wrong stuff and it was super heavy. I mean, it was just terrible, but, uh, here in Hawaii. And then I went, um, over to a neighbor Island and over to Maui and I hiked across Haleakala and, you know, it was phenomenal and gorgeous and everything. And, uh, of course I had a blister about, you know, that big around on the bottom of my, 
foot when I was done, but I learned some stuff. And one of the things that I wanted to do was hike the Pacific Crest Trail. So starting at the uh, Mexican border, you know, outside of San Diego ways, and then, you know, walk my way to Canada. But I work, so it was kind of, you know, it's kind of, you can't do it all at once like a lot of the thru-hikers do, but uh, I am a multi-year thru-hiker, so I'm a myth. Uh, I've, I, I've coined that for myself. So, um, anyway, I was hiking along. I got myself to Quincy. Uh, I got I got done, and uh, I was... Um, I was uh, fishing for a ride um, back to Reno, and um, uh, our mutual friend Matt uh, kind of uh, set us set me up with you to to give me a ride, and we had an awesome uh, hour and a half, two hour ride down to Reno. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Um, you were getting, you were moving, and uh, yeah, we we shared a good time, and uh, I really sincerely appreciated that. I was uh, that was nice, and um, and we stayed uh, kind of loose touch since. Yeah, yeah, I I've. Um had kind of a wild ride since then and it's been a journey getting back in touch with certain people and and you were one of those that never really left my frame of mind i always was like god ah, i need to text him i need to i need to follow up and and uh i i kept remembering about your book yeah that was uh that was the one thing and we'll get into that uh down down this show but uh I yeah, I sincerely appreciated that conversation we had on on that drive, and and Matthew is a wonderful host uh, for a yeah. lot of people. He, he you know whenever he connects me with people, I don't really hesitate. I I really appreciate his word and and uh, contributions to the community, and and I, I really think it's it's wonderful to support people like that, especially when they need need support. Those people yeah. need support. Yeah, he's he's super good at it, and 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 you were, uh, you know, you were heaven sent in a way, you know. So it worked out for me. Um, I'm uh, glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, and I I I always appreciate all the uh, trail angels and and help. You know, I don't like asking for it, but there's times when you know you you don't have any other recourse, you got to do it. You know, and so, uh, um, you know, speaking with him and then him linking up uh, us, here we are today because of that. So, um, it's it's about connections, you know. Absolutely, you know, you know, and and there's a, a good aspect of that point to bring up uh, about trailing and and. Uh, venturing off on your own especially I, I believe you were a solo hiker for that trip and yeah. the i mean it is vastly important that you have a sense of community aspect when you're planning things like that without planning your trips into small local communities and, and getting supply yeah. runs it, that, that stuff becomes near impossible it, i mean you could say that you'll be macho or, or whatnot. Some people are like, go off, go out and figure out the bushcraft. But yeah. with that much traffic in certain seasons, and it, there's so many factors a lot of people don't consider when they go into those environments. And yeah. that's something I definitely implore anyone who's looking to be outdoorsy from personal experience. Definitely know the land and the, the time of year you're going. Yeah. It's important. I mean, you know, I mean, you could kind of wing it, but uh, that's not real safe. And uh, um, not by yourself. No, not by yourself. I mean, the PCT is generally very safe. And if you pick, you know, like you, you know, to your point, you know, if you, uh, you're, you know, you're picking the right season and uh, you've done some planning ahead of time, uh, you know, you know, I mean, you can go and do it yourself. It's quite, quite easy, but you still need some you know, somebody's going to have to help you, right? You know, whether it's the bus to get you there or it's, uh, you know, um, a friend dropping you off or, or what have you. So, um, you know, nobody is really utterly, 
you know, um, I, I, what I guess I want to say is everybody is supported in some way or another when they're doing the PCT or doing some outdoor kinds of uh, backpacking adventures or what have you. You just, it's just a reality. But in this case, we, um, we were lucky and, uh, you know, we met and uh, that, that's the cool part. Absolutely. No, I I'm very thankful. And again, it's I'm glad that your journey was safe during that trip. That that's always a blessing. Yeah, but, it was good. Um, you know, it, it helps to have a few other hikes under your belt before you hike the PCT. So it does. Yeah. It did. Um, I learned some things, you know, along the way. So by the time I started on the PCT, it was I wasn't carrying an 80 liter pack that I thought I needed, and um, you know, a full range of season of clothes, etc. So you know, um, you know, in the cast iron skillet. I'm kidding. I didn't carry that, but you know, <laughs> um, but I knew somebody did. But <clears throat> anyway, oh, yeah. So. Yeah, it was crazy, but um, yeah. So uh, uh, that was a. I, I think it was kind of a fetish. I don't know. Uh, he he didn't have his cast iron pan. So. The things we do for fried bacon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of you know that's kind of what he was getting after. But yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So the PCT's been great, and that led led like I said, and led us led us to you know connect up. Well, you know, I have a a question on that since we're on this topic too. Sure. Do you have a favorite trail head that you enjoyed the most that really stuck out to you and why is that reason uh like a trail trail head or trail or trail proper i guess um you like like a system of trails or or a single trail just an area that really stuck out um well for the pct um uh gosh that i i think the i think um the area around Yosemite is pretty amazing. I mean, if you're on the John Muir trail part of the PCT, so the JMT is, you know, basically runs from Lake Tahoe and uh, down to, you know, Yosemite or well, actually down to the, um, uh, down to Mount Whitney, basically. So, you know, there's a 200 something odd, um, section of the, of the PCT that is also the JMT. That is gorgeous country. Number one. I mean, it's just, you know, your high Sierra it's, it's, uh, it's pristine, you know, it's really gorgeous. Um, so for the PCT, I'd say that section of the trail is phenomenal. My favorite trailhead, I guess I would say is, um, probably the trailhead that took me up, um, Mount Fuji and that, um, I, I went up what was called the Gotemba Trail. So it's kind of on the backside of Mount Fuji and all the tourists sort of go up the front side and a much shorter, much shorter and steeper trails. I chose the longer one and uh, uh, the one that was less, less traveled. Um, I, I, you know, is that metaphorical? I don't know, but, but um, you know, I did it and, um, and it was beautiful and it was uh, quiet. For me, Mount Fuji was um, kind of a, uh, a necessary thing for me to fulfill kind of a dream I had or a kind of a promise I made myself um, from childhood when I learned that my, you know, my dad had climbed Mount Fuji when he was a young man in the Marines um, in Japan. And I, you know, before I even knew what Mount Fuji was, I was like, I'm going to do that because my dad did that. And uh, so I, I fulfilled that um, sort of promise to myself uh, to do that. And, you know, um, about uh, you know, 10 years back now, but, uh, and then subsequently took my daughter on it, but the trailhead there was, um, was just really nice. It's, like I said, it's quiet and it was a place for kind of some, you know, spiritual comp, you know, contemplation kind of thing. With that elevation difference, 
you have a lot of different factors too on how you feel and and oh sure a lot of that training i know for high altitude hikes is um yeah a lot of uh breath techniques and yeah i think um for me you know i mean i live at sea level essentially um you know i usually try and get to the trail a day or two you know to the trailhead or to trailhead area a day or two in advance um i i would say you know the only place that i really you know sort of worried about like say high altitude sickness or something like that was probably um during that john you know during that uh high sierra section the john Muir section of the pct um fuji is about ten thousand feet and you know if you don't um spend an inordinate amount of time you know at high elevation um you know you you generally reduce your risk for um that kind of you know that that high altitude sickness um yeah and you can take some pills too that'll kind of help out um but uh their prescription but <laughs> um but they uh but i i really haven't had i guess the bottom line is i really haven't had much issue with it um it's di- more difficult of course you got to breathe harder and you know i'm 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 not a young guy so uh you know uh i, I go a little slower but uh, maybe sometimes a lot slower but um you know i think it's uh it's manageable um as long as it's like like not thirteen thousand feet, which is difficult for anybody. Yeah, yeah, that's nothing to laugh at. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the the high Sierras that I'm used to, uh, in uh, Plumas County. I mean, some yeah. of the areas I would go to that are considered high high points at nine thousand feet. Yep. So, it, that's a whole another mountain on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is pretty wacky sometimes. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, the town yeah. I grew up in is 3,500 uh, elevation. Right, and, right. Uh, like, you know, to think about that, like, yeah, if if you were right next to the sea, maybe it wouldn't seem like such a drastic change. But at the same time, it would also seem like a huge change because you have even much or even more drop uh, yeah. retrospectively to everything and sure. it's just very interesting like people's yeah. perceptions on on what they can handle and, and yeah. how the human body reacts and adapts to those scenarios like a lot of people yeah. don't properly prepare yeah i think the general the best thing you can do even for for high elevation is just or for you know hiking is just be fit and so i walk a lot here and um or run and um I, like i just finished the marathon um the Honolulu marathon was like 10 days ago. I'm taking time off, but, uh, wow. um, yeah, just staying fit and just, you know, getting out there and doing it. And, um, I think that part, you know, kind of carries you over the elevation features and, you know, the elevation aspect, meaning, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a proportionally a little less oxygen in the atmosphere at that, at that elevation, but you, you can get by you're, Like I said, if you're fit, you're, you're good to go for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember running up and down mountains at certain points where, you know, I'm hauling rocks and all sure. sorts of weird things and, and building fire pits or whatnot. And, um, you know, it, you definitely, the more you get out there and do it, the, the better you feel through that summer season or whatnot. And then, you know, it yeah. comes right back around the spring and you're like, Oh, I'm groggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is hard. Yeah. I know it's not as relatable over in Hawaii with the snow and, and such, but um, Well, surprisingly we actually get snow here on top of uh Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa on the big island. So um there are people who make it a point of 
surfing on 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 the same day surfing and skiing uh, it's <laughs> tough to do and you got to be here at the exact right time but you can actually do it and so um crazy you know, yeah yeah hawaii's weird we got uh we have almost uh, almost every climatic zone you know that's you know scientifically identified climatic zone so we have everything from desert to tropical rainforest and 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 you know savannah and you name it it's it's you can there's parts of this place that look like you know west texas and other parts that look like you know vietnam i mean you're, you know just real jungle and lots of rain Crazy. So, yeah it's yeah. really cool yeah i went to i had the chance to go to hawaii back in seventh grade and that was the only time mm-hmm. i've been um, oh good i enjoyed that trip a lot I yeah think cool i it was a culture shock for sure though um just because I was in the Christian school. I didn't really know that people actively worshipped in Hawaii still yeah. uh, certain Polynesian gods and oh sure uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah yeah deities and and you know and I mean that with all respect but I just am not as familiar and and um, I came in and you know we we didn't know what we were doing and we threw uh, an altar gift on accident and. Uh-huh. That was one thing. Like I, I still wish to this day they would have just taught us that yeah. about the culture we were going into, um, because that is now that I'm older and mature, I can uh, mature yeah. to those facts. I, I can understand and the importance of understanding the people you're going to visit. And, yeah. and yes, I know it's the United States, but we they have all right uh, uh, Polynesian cultures to to have sure. respect. Yeah, dude, you're exactly spot on. In fact, um, uh, the state and uh, a, a, a number of um, uh, different, you know, um, civic organizations have taken a lot of steps to <clears throat> help educate people. Yeah, we're in the United States copy, but this place is the most, you know, probably, in my, at least in my mind, the most exotic uh, place you can live and still be in the United States. Um, yes. And for that, you know, um, the culture is huge here. Uh, you know, respect to to that culture is huge. Um, and so they've they've started, uh, you know, like on the different airlines and when you come in through the airport and at the hotels, kind of kind of briefing people, kind of just telling them, hey, you know. Yeah, come here, have a great time, you know, hit Waikiki, you can hit Dukes, have a Mai Tai, do all of that. But when you're out and about or when you're going to some of these other things, uh, some of our parks or, or um, you know, historic sites and stuff, um, you know, be respectful. And, um, you know, one, respect the land. And, you know, I was born here. And so for me, well, the, the you know, the word we use for the land is Aina. So for me, the Aina is really important. I mean, it gives life. And, um and and so um you know respecting people and respecting uh, the land is critical and you know so we we ask people to you know to visit responsibly and respectfully and and things will go well um and and if you don't then you know maybe it won't go so well so you know we, you know i mean i mean it just, it and, just it's, you know. and that's not a hawaii thing that's that's travel yeah, kind of and everything. Thing. i yeah. mean we, i've seen i think what it was this last year or maybe the year before where there was a tourist in central america going on top of the pyramids you know and, and they're coming down they're upset people are upset at them yeah, uh, just totally disconnected from the culture they're they're yeah. immersing themselves in. Why bring yeah. yourself to that environment if you're you're not going to educate yourself? Yeah, it's like carving your name on the Coliseum. I mean, what are you doing? 
Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, so we have that sort of thing here. I mean, it's just, you know, just a bit. And, and when you do, you know, when you come to Hawaii and, you, and you're, you know, you're chill about it and, and you try and understand where, where the uh, culture is and where the native Hawaiians are in particular are coming from. Um, yeah, you'll be, you'll be fine. It's great. And you're going to live it up and have a great time. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a friend out there, uh, you know, shout out TX. If uh, you're around, I, I know that, he's been doing a lot of electrical work out there and, and I'm sure they're busy on the main Island now. Um, with uh, a bunch of yeah. Media. Yeah. There's uh yeah, always something going on, you know, but, uh, there's a lot of work probably. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm supposing as we kind of look at reconstruction of Lahaina over on Maui, that, um, there'll be a lot of work going on um, yeah. for the trade, for the trades, you know, for the people in the trades. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, it's something I, and it, I just haven't heard as much information as I I would like to on sure. the subject. But there, there's a lot of stuff still up in the air with, with that. So, yeah. um, but but that's uh, neither here nor there. I, I'm not a real estate major, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It, you know, from outside perspective, looking into um, you know Hawaii's situation, it, it's very tragic, and and it's yeah. it's good to see that there's at least people that respect um what's going on in that situation yeah moving forward though what tends to be your favorite type of work like do you like busy work um are you more of a you know like trial by fire uh i i guess for me um you know i mean i like I like being mentally engaged. Right. So, um, and, and, and I like work to have meaning. Um, and sometimes that's hard. Uh, you know, in my line of work, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a bureaucrat, so I move a lot of papers around. Um, and sometimes that's not, I mean, it's not always, but sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's hard to find fulfillment in that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so for me, um, and, and, and I'm not a saint, but, uh, what I'm saying is that I do like helping people. And, uh, so when I have the opportunity to do that in my, in my profession, that's, that's one thing It's great. And then, uh, um, other than that, I, I like, um, working with my hands. I, t- I told you, I like, um, you know, cooking and baking and things like that uh because i can see you know the start to finish and kind of a you know an end product so yeah that's i mean that's it kind of i I guess in a nutshell absolutely no that's great i think that it's one thing that a lot of people don't discuss enough is is how yeah different mediums of learning uh, affect you you know yeah well i think for work you know um uh i, I think people can find fulfillment in kind of in, in anything well first they have to be interested in it you know and they want to do it right um but uh i i you know i've met lots of people in my lifetime and you know there's guys who are you know, intellectual, you know, total eggheads and their professors and this, that, and the other. And, um, and, and they find fulfillment in what they do, um, cause they're imparting knowledge or they're sharing that, or they're, you know, mentoring or coaching people. And then, you know, you have people in the trades that are doing something substantial and they come and help you fix a problem and, and that's fulfilling too. So, I mean, um, I think the worst thing is to work in something that you, you, you just don't like and you're doing it just for the money. And that's, 
you know, I mean, people do do that as well, but, uh, I, I, I can't imagine, uh, any level of fulfillment in that. So again, for me, it's kind of like, well, um, you know, doing, doing paperwork at work is fine. And, and, but you know, helping folks is great, but sometimes coming home and making, you know, making a cake is pretty awesome. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, cause you can just see it, like I said, you can kind of see it start to finish. You go, yeah, I can accomplish something. That's really good. No, absolutely. The, the process is part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. And obviously like I have a lot to learn. I, you know, I, you've got a few years on me, but <laughs> I, I still try to, to uh, listen and, and really learn from mentors, yeah. especially. Yeah, that's good. I, I think we can, I mean, I think at any age, you know, you can learn something. My, uh, you know, little segue my birth mother you know who i and you know we'll probably get to it but you know um who i looked for and found i mean when i met her uh, i was in my 40s and she was you know in her 60s and even when she was in her you know late 80s she always called me a kid so what my point is you know you can always learn something and you're always in you should be always in a state of learning and it doesn't matter how old you are so you know i I love to learn something, you know, every day. It's like, oh, I learned something. That's great. You know, so put that in your Absolutely. kit bag. Yeah. No, it, it gives you it gives you engagement, a purpose to life. Yeah, I really sure do does. think it's important, especially with an age where depression rules a lot of people's lives. Yeah, true that. Yeah, that's, that's tough. No, it, it's something I, I struggle to help people with all the time. I, yeah. I, I wish it wasn't the case. I, I wish everyone was... Uh, mentally well of course yeah. but you know even with myself i struggle with it it, it yeah. all it takes is a month a week uh you know being out of work or you know sure. family member has something unfortunate come up and yeah. you know it, it's you don't it's you easy know, to get off your game it is easy exactly. to get off your game yeah um life is uh you know uh, sometimes challenging and uh, I, I surely recognize that you know um, uh, I think we all kind of go through s s some of that stuff uh, you know at different points in life and I'm, I'm, I'm with you I certainly have you know um, as well so yeah yeah it's it's a, a common discussion for sure it, with uh, different cultures all over the world I mean sure. every society has their their ups and downs um, yeah. truly but um, moving forward here, let's see, has being an author helped you open your perspective more to the pros and cons of your past careers? Or is it something that you feel your pros and cons based on your experiences helped to define how you perceived your past? Writing is important for me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. Uh, when it comes, I mean, in terms of, I'm not crowing, I'm just simply saying I can put a sentence no. together and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, my, you know, my original approach to, uh, in life, I guess, to writing was, um, as I was growing up and going to school, it was, you know, English was, you know, an easy class and, you know, I can write the essays and do all that. And I mean, well, it wasn't hard. Um, and professionally in, you know, when I was in the military and, and now as a DOD civilian, um, writing is essential. You know, I, I, it is a critical part of communicating and I'm, I'm good. I can put, you know, I can put a good memo together. I can put a good briefing together. I can, um, 
you know, make things uh, clear and explainable, which is really the point of it. Um, the funny thing is, though, is that I, I, um, you know, my my experience with writing, and in particular writing this book, uh, was really, you know, kind of. I, I never knew why I had this penchant for 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 writing and for telling a story until I found my you know birth mother and I found my birth families and I realized oh it was kind of a it's a genetic thing you know there's a thread there that um they were good at I mean I like uh I like writing poetry my birth mother wrote poetry my great-grandfather wrote poetry you know so I could see where you know I was somewhat predisposed to do it in the in the first place so to kind of get to your question you know how is it reflected on the pros and cons of of, of my other careers uh, and um, and how's it really helped? I, I would say, you know, just in a nutshell, I mean, you know, in a an official environment when I'm when I'm you know putting something together and and writing, I'm, I'm like I said, I can do that pretty well. Making things clear and explainable to senior leaders is is really an important uh, um, skill, and uh, you know, so I've kind of mastered that. I've translated that skill and that ability to kind of say something clear and coherent uh, to others in this book that I was, you know, sort of compelled to write, you know, um, by my circumstances. And so I think I was able to be kind of clear and, and tell a good story in, in the, in the book. Um, so they've complement each other, I guess is really where I'm kind of trying to wind up, you know, they've helped. And, um, I can't imagine any kind of profession or skill or, or job where you don't have to do some kind of written communication, you know, you either have to read it or you have to write it. And so, um, it's integral to who we are, uh, you know, as people and society and, and, you know, our, our way of life, et cetera. I mean, and I know that sounds a little overblown, but, but, you know, clear writing is, is really good. And if, uh, you know, if you read something that's, you know, poorly put together, it's confusing and, and, and you lose track of what the, what the person's trying to tell you. And, uh, and it's aggravating. So <laughs> I've tried to avoid all that. No, it really makes a big difference. Um, I, I try to tell people this all the time I, I, and it is something I struggle with. That's, that's also why I try to reiterate is practice makes perfect. The more we, we send yep. out there, you know, we're, we're perceiving it ourselves and, and, uh, but it, it's, a constant struggle um it doesn't i don't i think this is uh it you could say it's maturity but a lot of it is is across generations too where it's always a struggle because you're trying to understand the other generations around you yeah yeah and and i I think as a skill it's just uh you know like you said i think to to your point you know you it's something you got to kind of constantly do kind of be practicing. Um, you know, for me, I've spent, uh, <laughs> um, probably six years behind this computer, you know, working uh, for the last six years on, on telling that story. But, um, I've gotten better at it and I know I could tell the difference between when I started and when I finished and, and, um, refining a style and everything else. So it all folds back together. I think both on the personal and professional side and just com- kind of complimentary. It helps all along the way. No, oh, and I, I'm honestly excited to, to talk to you more uh, along the, the book uh, yeah. details down the show's path. I, I really yeah, think yeah. Uh, the viewers will get a kick out of hearing your story too, more in depth. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, let's go ahead and see. Did you ever struggle with anything in school? And while you were going through your schooling, uh, did you find anything relevant 
that might be able to help any struggling students out there? Well, uh, well, I think, you know, I've alluded to it and I think, you know, we've talked, um, you know, as a military brat, uh, I, I went to a lot of different schools, you know, um, I went to like 13 schools for 12 different grades and for military brats or for, um, kids whose parents are, you know, say in international business and they move around or whatever, but they sometimes call third country kids. Um, in, in my case, you know, our label is military brats, which is a term of endearment, but, um, you know, when you're moving around a lot, um, first of all, uh, the, the school subjects that, you know, you get taught are the same everywhere you go. Right. So you're going to, it's English, it's, you know, it's math, it's science, it's this, it's that. So that, you know, the curricula kind of doesn't really change a whole lot. I struggle with math. I think, um, I don't know why just conceptually just looking at numbers makes me crazy. I can't even do Sudoku and my wife keeps telling me, no, it's just, it's just a puzzle. I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it because it's got those symbols on it and I don't like them. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to touch it. Um, so, so, you know, the point or your question, I mean, I, I did struggle with math, but, um, but I think in the larger context of at least my life um, and for others who move a lot, you know, um, sort of the, the biggest problem is really, uh, or the biggest challenge I should say is actually, um, social relationships, right. When you move around and, um, <clears throat> and fitting back in and for military brats, uh, you, you, you wind up having to be incredibly adaptable. You, you, you are driven to adapt adaption, um, to the point that, you know, like if you live in the South, you start mimicking the accents because you want to fit in. Um, and you're looking for other people who are like you that move around a lot so that you can, you know, kind of have your own tribe, your own band, you know, you can socialize. So for me, um, that was, you know, part of the inherent struggle of being a military brat and moving around all the time, uh, was, was being able to find and fit in really quickly. I mean, within a matter of days, because otherwise then you were just, you know, and, and people are people, there's a herd, you know, instinct out there. And, and when you're odd and different, you know, you kind of exclude a lot of times. And, you know, I mean, this was the sixties and the seventies. I'm not saying it's appreciably better now, but, but, um, at least back then, you know, if, 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 if you didn't fit in soon, um, you know, then you were kind of left on the outside and that was a lot of no fun. Um, so, so, you know, being able to, you know, enter the, you know, kind of enter the classroom, look around, kind of see who was like you. And I don't mean physiologically or, you know, whatever. I mean, you could kind of tell who, or you got a sense of who might the, the military brats be, who, who'd moved around a lot, where they'd been. And then, you know, and then kind of make those connections. And so for me, that's, that was really the big challenge of, of school, you know, of, of, uh, you know, the first 12 grades anyway. And, um, and if I had something to offer, I, I'd say, you know, um, being, being flexible and being adaptable in a situation where you, you have no choice is, is kind of an imperative. So you have to be good at it. Um, and being a false extrovert, which a lot of military brats are, is, is kind of one of the things that they, an attribute they pick up. So a lot of, you know, people are normally introverts or extroverts or somewhere in the middle. Um, but boy, when you're, you know, a military brat and you're moving around and you jump into a new school, you're just, you're just, you're just an expert. You have to be until you get settled. So I don't know if that, you know, kind of gets after. That's yeah. perfect. I, I think that's a wonderful uh, way to wrap that uh, point up from what it sounds like to it. It really was a struggle in, in that situation and with people in similar situations for relatability. 
Yeah, it's tough because I mean, um, you know, on top of just the the so, you know, we just talked about like getting in, right? But then you you get out because you know your parents are moving, and it's like for me. Uh, and many military brats and other uh, kids who move around a lot, um, you know, getting out is another thing too, because I mean, a lot of times you don't stay very long. So you might be there for a year. And I mean, I look with, uh, at people who've grown up all their lives in the same town with kind of a, you know, like with envy, you know, in some ways, because now I had a great life, but, but I mean, I look at them with envy because it's like, man, there's so much continuity and everybody knows everybody. Now I know in a small town that, that there's a downside to that too, but, but, uh, but as a military brat, as a kid, who's really transient all the time, um, when you're leaving, it's really traumatic. I mean, because you know that one, you got to start over. So you got to do this whole thing all over again. Um, it's going to be a different dynamic, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, and it's, it's traumatic. It's, uh, and, and a lot of us experience what we call, um, what is called disenfranchised grief. So, you know, you're sitting here, um, grieving over something that you don't know how to express that's what disenfranchised grief is you know it's like there's no socially acceptable output for your grief and you know i remember my mom asking me why are you crying and we're leaving you know who cares you know kind of thing i'm like man i'm leaving my life behind i'm like in fifth grade you know and um you know and and it's so uh you know you make these bonds as kids you know and and they're strong until they're broken you know and and they're broken because because you know circumstances beyond your control break them and so that's that's hard and um and so like i said if there was something i could say to you know help somebody i'd say well you know do your homework in some ways you know know what you're getting into know what you're getting your kids into you know um i mean i had kids and then i sort of did the same thing i mean i joined the military and moved around but what i tried to do um and maybe not with the greatest success but i tried to do was as much as i could manage my career so the kids could finish like high school in one spot or or we could stay for an extended period so it wasn't wasn't as traumatic as as i experienced anyway so my kids will tell me whether i did good at that or not well on the internet uh, i don't know if your kids were going through school well um the internet was kind of becoming established but it definitely changed the dynamic from what you were used to uh oh yeah i my dad is a very similar age to you you and um i've talked to him about this stuff and and you know one thing he likes about the philippines right now is uh there's a lot of neighborhood dynamics that Mm -hmm. are in play and and that's something that uh, i i definitely see why you would draw values from your childhood in in a situation like that uh, where and again it's similar in your situation but just kind of the opposite end of like you saw this you witnessed this but you were just on the other end of it and uh that again is a a different perspective than a lot of people um are used to hearing and i'm glad that you shared it It, it's is it sounds like a very tough situation i as an empath i i would have a hard time Uh, my grandma actually did the same thing she i think went nine different towns or something before she was uh, old enough and but they had a family of six so she was the oldest sibling had to take care of the kids um very very hard but and she came from the generation from the 40s yeah Uh, you know and 
I think she was doing that. Yeah. in in forties, fifties. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, what I'm not saying though, is that it's an unhappy childhood. I'm not saying that because I would also say, you know, brats, military brats and, and others like that get opportunities that like other people don't get. And, and I say that, you know, contrasting military brats with like home, you know, people who stay in their, their hometown. I mean, you do get exposed to different cultures. You do get exposed to, um, um, different ways of life and, and how things are in, in, you know, in other places. And I think that broadens your horizons. I think that makes you a more adaptable and flexible person. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, well, I guess I'm more accepting when I travel, you know, internationally. I'm like, oh, okay, this is how they do it. And it's not my way necessarily, but it's, it's their way. And so, you know, you just go along. Um, the other thing I'd add is just that, you know, um, particularly with military brats is, uh, uh, you, you know, you make your happiness where you find it. Right. And so you, you, you know, I didn't have an unhappy childhood. It just was, it was just bumpy and disconnected. And, uh, um, and, and, and then that part was difficult, but you know, the day to day running around outside, playing with your friends and riding your bikes all over the place and having a good time and you know, all that, that's all the same. And, you know, so my, my childhood was happy. It wasn't, you know, doom and gloom and it wasn't dark. It was just, it was just interrupted all the time. And that, that does, that is a factor. I mean, it's just a, it's just a reality. Right. And, uh, and you kind of have to accommodate that somewhere along the way in life. And I have in part by writing, you know, writing about it. Well, no, and surely that's, uh, something that again, a lot of people I think would view negatively, uh, at first because they're not used to it. Um, but once you, you know, it's because a lot of people disassociate with the military too, and and, and different um, aspects of of like that living living difference. And those are people that ultimately they need to sleep, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and they they have lice too. So there yeah. there's a a healthy balance, I think, to the culture exposure and and having your own time to define yeah. your yeah. path. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing. I, oh, I, sure. I think that's yeah, very, no very great. Um, and, you know, honestly, before we get into your book, I wanted to touch back on one thing. Sure. Um, are there any preferences you have when it comes to finding your creative spirit? Like, do you enjoy being indoors more outdoors more when you're creating or um is it under pressure where you feel like uh, your creative spirit comes out the most sure sure i mean i think uh so um you know i i kind of tend to expansive answers and I, I i try and reel myself in i think uh for me personally um <clears throat> uh, the outdoors is 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 um a source of inspiration i suppose um backpacking and being out in the wilderness is is uh is inspired you know inspires you to think at least for me inspires me to think poetically right you know as you're walking along you're looking at you know the 
extent of the sky and the horizon and you know if you're in the you're in the trees or in the forest whatever um you're i don't listen to music when i'm doing that so i'm kind of engaged with what i'm where i'm at in the environment that i'm at a lot of hikers actually do listen to music and that's cool i don't have any issues with that but the outdoors is probably uh for me you know uh, inspiring from from a creating a creative perspective but also um you know inspiring from a spiritual perspective right so um you know i don't clobber people over the head with my spirituality i just like i just say hey look you know look at those you know look at those trees they're amazing i mean they're pumping 40 50 hundreds of gallons of water out of the ground up to the top of their leaves every day just to you know let chlorophyll and sunlight interact and and make you know make energy and make them grow and that's that, that's mind-blowing right i mean it's just like wow why is it doing that i mean you know and so i get i get sort of some spiritual fulfillment and um and and inspiration uh, by being outdoors but in terms of writing um you know i would say that's an indoor activity obviously um and i take some of what i've gotten out of the outdoors and bring it indoors but um as i'm writing i actually do listen to music and um and my wife was always kind of going well, how can you possibly do that and i go i don't know but it just it relaxes my mind and then you know i'm just kind of going along and um and and feeling what i feel and uh, kind of putting it on paper um, i'm not the guy who looks for you know and some artists do and i appreciate that i'm looking for an alternative mental state you know what i mean so um i mean some of the greatest works ever have been you know created by people who were you know high or something you know and that's cool but um but that's you know it's generally not me maybe a glass of wine but um beyond that you know kind of <laughs> you know, or no, i i totally understand i mean uh, as a songwriter poetry uh, enthusiast myself i i definitely see the advantage of getting in kind of a, a something that is a scientific backing to a front to a degree a flow state yeah. where you're you're getting in that zone you know and if you're able to drown out the way i view it is you're drowning out the world from your task right and it's yeah. it's connecting on your own like you say it's similar like a, a spiritual journey yeah, I think it's about, you know, kind of tapping other parts of your brain and um, particularly for the arts, right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, doing that and uh, and, and finding that uh, creative corner in your brain that you don't go to very often because you're washing the dishes most of you know, the day or you're mowing the lawn or you're going to work and you're doing your own thing. And, and it's not maybe not especially creative. And uh, so for those who, you know, arts aren't their job uh, for those of us who just kind of are you know maybe dabbling in it or um aren't, aren't full timers um yeah finding uh finding the flow state i think is what you called it would is is part of that and for me you know in here in front of a computer and writing my story is is really you know listening to 60s and 70s r&b or you know and uh, um you know pop music or you know even something more modern so um yeah, that's, that's how I kind of get in my groove and then it's just off to the races and I'm inside that part of my brain that's, un, you know, kind of, you know, unlocking all these stories and sort of helping me put them on paper. No, it's very powerful stuff. Um, when when you are able to engage in a balanced way, yeah. it's rewarding. Yeah. yeah, it is. Absolutely. You're spot on. Yeah. 
the active life of the outdoors coming up, people are looking to be out and about more. Sasquatch Farms CBD brings organically grown products in the Sierra Nevadas from the soil to the people. Farmer John has worked on green projects on the farm since 2013. He looks forward to providing you with the highest quality soaps, salves, CBD tinctures, pre-rolls, along with some other fresh products. It takes a community in farming to survive, so any efforts made to support our farmers in the world helps to support our society as a whole. So remember, if you can't catch him out on the farmer's market, catch him online at sasquatchfarmscbd.com. That's sasquatchfarmscbd.com. Thank you. Now back to the show. That's a perfect segue into the story behind your book. Right. And I wanted to see if you would get into kind of the general core elements of, of what your story is about. I know we've yeah. gotten into the, the early um, details about, you know, being, a, being relative to the family and, and a very personal journey, but I, I just wanted to see if you would um, be willing to debrief us on, on some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good word. That's a good word. Uh, and not, in, not intentional, just. No, <laughs> no. It, it sounds like work. Um, I know. Uh, that's awesome, though. That was really good. It makes me it makes me laugh. Um, well, uh, you know, we've kind of you and I have, have talked a little bit about it before, but I mean, um, and we've sort of danced around it here. But um, for me, you know, I, I mean, I was born here in Hawaii, and uh, you know, and I was adopted um, at a pretty young age. I mean, it was like eighteen months. Um, my folks were in the Marine Corps. And my birth mother, uh, you know, uh, was a married, uh, was married, but in the process of divorcing, uh, her husband who was, you know, kind of a, a philanderer and kind of, you know, not a good person necessarily. So, uh, anyway, she was, she was doing that. She got pregnant by another married man and, and, uh, and, and that stuff happens and it's just the way it is anyway bottom line is um so i was given up for adoption and you know i lived my life as a military brat and uh you know traveled with my family and and my i had uh three siblings i still have two two living um and uh we were all adopted so um you know i have another sister who was born here in hawaii i have another sister who was born in vietnam and uh my uh, brother was born in north carolina and he's since passed um but we were all adopted and we were in this, you know, um, fabricated family uh, made out of compassion and love, you know, um, people who wanted to, t to have children and couldn't. So they, you know, adopted us. And so, um, you know, we lived that life and that's fine and it was great. And, um, that's who I am. And, you know, Fritz Beyer is, is a derivative of, of my parents and their family histories. But growing up, and particularly as a teenager, I got to a point where I was like, uh, I, I don't really understand. And I couldn't articulate very well. I, I, I do. I do now, but I couldn't articulate it well. But what I really was struggling with was understanding why I am who I am, because in an adopted family with four siblings and two parents, nobody is genetically connected to anybody else. And we all have different preferences and traits and so on. And um, so. So, you know, you sit there and you see that every day and you're like, well, why do I like to write or paint or do this or that? And, you know, my mother's an accountant and I hate numbers and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I was, you know, 
not tormented, but plagued by this uh, question um, of trying to understand why I am who I am. And I couldn't answer it because I didn't have a way to answer it. And so um, I was fortunate in that uh, at some point in 1993, Hawaii changed its adoption laws and allowed adoptees uh, to get their birth records. Now, I, I got to say for a second, I was in a closed adoption. So this is where all the records are sealed and nobody gets to know anything. Um, and it's just buried in some vault somewhere. And, uh, you know, so and, and you can't really access it and access it. And most states are still have lots of restrictions on on that stuff now sorry to interrupt here but uh, as someone who's unfamiliar with adoption process and and and, uh, details stuff like that is that a common thing that it gets vaulted off well it was um you know it was in the early early to middle to uh uh, maybe to the late part of the 1900s. I know that sounds like, wow, that's a century ago, but I mean, it's not really, it was just, you know, no. a couple of years ago. Um, more commonly these days are what they call open adoptions where the information is shared. Birth mothers know where their child goes. It's not always the case, but, but it's more common. And so the birth parent or the, the adoptive parents have some history of the child genetic, maybe not all the identifying data, but, but when I was adopted, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was sealed up and, and it was never going to come out of that vault unless, you know, some, uh, legal change was made. And in this case in Hawaii, they did do that. Um, and I would have never had an opportunity to know. Now I will do a semicolon here a little bit and say, however, um, today with the advent of, you know, all the DNA services and stuff like that, I think today, if I was starting again, you know, from scratch and I said, I don't know why I am who I am. And I was looking for a way to find out, um, you know, companies like ancestry or 23 and me, or, uh, some of these others, uh, would be a, a way to do that. And I've, helped people find um, their connections by using Ancestry and other things. So people have kind of called me up and said, hey, can you help me find such and such? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let me see what you can do. Um, So that does give you like a huge springboard into figuring things out. Um, You're still faced with the dilemma of of connecting and finding people, finding people and connecting to people. And and that is the large, that's really the focus of, of the book is, is really, you know, the search that I went through that it took 23 years, you really kind of tie it all together. And, uh, and, and, and the challenges that you face, even as adoptee uh, with a genetic inheritance, that's common to somebody else that you've just discovered and kind of fit back together. Um, you know, either in, in some kind of relationship that isn't really well-defined. So whether it's, are you really going to be part of the family? Are you going to be a friend or, you know, all those kinds of questions are just up in the air and there's no, what they call, there's no relationship script for that. So you don't know what to do. When I first met my birth mother and I found her in 1999 um, and called her up and, you know, made these connections and yeah, it was the most fulfilling moment of my life. But as we moved forward in the relationship, it was like, I don't know what to call her. Do I call her Beverly? Cause that's her name or does she want to be called mom? Because that's what she feels like she should be called because she wants her baby back because there's these deep, you know, deep traumas that she experienced of giving up a child, you know, et cetera. So, you know, all that is sort of uncharted territory and 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 so what i kind of tell the story of at least in you know in, in 
a, a good part of the book is is how that played out and um and how um and how it for me resulted in you know fulfillment right and and kind of a a a psychological and personal and spiritual uh connection um with these with these families that i was genetically related to and became part of um, by virtue of this search and discovery and reunion process right so that's that's you know the core of it if you want you know i mean that's kind of the thrust of it um the details of course are you know kind of spelled out and i I kind of tend to drift off into them, but it was uh, it, it it was a good journey. It's a great journey, and uh, it's not over. Um, I took I, I also took the opportunity while I was doing that discovery process to research into the histories of these families. So my adopted families, you know, I have my buyer side, obviously, and my mother's maiden name was Bowton. So I looked into, you know, where did these people come from and what were their, what were their family stories? How did they get to America? Right. And for my um, biological side, Cochrane, which is Scott Irish and, um, and my Figuera, my Portuguese side, um, you know, same thing. Where, where did they come from and how did they get to America? And so there's a second, volume to the book the first volume is kind of here's how i found all these people and what it means and the the issues that we were talking about earlier kinship and identity and how that changes when you when you connect uh, with your you know um birth families and stuff um and but the second volume is really about the the history of these families and some of the crazy things that did <laughs> get into america or being in america you know i've got a counterfeiter in the background and i've got you know my great uncle was a bigamist and that's why the family the Cochran family moved to Oregon and you know so there's all these backstories um that are pretty amazing you know um and and so the second volume is kind of full of that stuff but uh how neat no that's great in the past we had a discussion about the toughest element for you being the editing process the the revisions yeah Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why that was so tough yeah, it's, 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 well, first of all, y- yes, I can tell you something about it. Um, I felt like, you know, um, so I finished manuscript in February of 23. And um, <clears throat> and I thought that was huge, you know. I mean, I walked up the stairs and I told my wife, I was like, look, I've been working on this for six years. It's done. And I mean, I started crying. I was like, you know, just tears were leaking out. I was like, it's just like this massive accomplishment. And I thought, well, okay, cool. You know, um, now I just go get it published. Um, but you know, um, I wanted to make sure I did a good job. So I, I hired an editor and she did a phenomenal job of helping me or, you know, organize the story and, and, and no matter what you, you know, if you're a good writer or not, it doesn't matter. You, you're still gonna, you're not going to see things. So you typo stuff and, um, or you make, you know, you leave a word out or you, you know, you make an awkward construction of some kind or whatever. And, and so a lot of help, um, putting that back together and, um, uh, and that took, you know, uh, the better part of a year because I could read it. I could have somebody else read it. Uh, I could have a third person read it. And we'd, we'd always find, you know, somewhere along the way, a little something that was just kind of out of whack and when I'd have to go fix it. Um, the other thing was, you know, I, I wrote this thing in Word, which is a standard, you know, um, application for, you know, just doing text documents is fine. But when you're making a book, 
you have to format it and uh and word is not not good for formatting so i had to learn how to format and i had to then choose the cover art and devise the cover art and um you know so you're you're kind of you're moving from this artistic kind of thing um and this you know gush of emotion and expression that comes out on a piece of paper and then then you're just transitioning to like sort of the business end of it where you're like well i gotta package this thing and i gotta get it ready uh, for other people to to digest and they're only going to digest it in this way when it looks like this or it sounds like that or it has these you know attributes to it so um that was really a lot of work and a lot of learning you know so i was i, I was like like i said i was done with it in february and i'm i'm you know i'm on the cusp of publishing you know about a month from now and you know it's like wow that was a lot of work and i did not expect that you know i just didn't i did i was naive to be really honest i mean it was just like oh you know i'll write it and it's gonna be great you know and then that's it and i'm like oh yeah there's this other stuff and so so um writing can really bite you in the butt it's it, it, well, i said writing was the easy part i think writing was the easy part it's just uh you know put packaging it up is a lot of, a lot to a lot to do and um i'm uh i'm corresponding even as you know not literally as we speak but you know this morning even on some i want to make sure i'm not copyright infringing so you know you have to go and check to see if you you know not if you can borrow some words from somebody or you know you can quote this poem or you can do this or the other uh and so a lot of it is this sort of administrative stuff of stitching it all together but you know if i was recommending to somebody i'd say um i i i guess i would kind of say you know, do your artistic thing and, and get it on paper first. That's the hugest step, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, because so many people have stories inside them and, 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 you know, we don't really have an oral tradition in our culture and, you know, podcast ironically is kind of the development of that, but, um, but we don't have a strong oral tradition in our culture. And so I felt like, um, you know, I needed to capture all these oral histories and, and, and tell a story even though it's on written on a piece of paper, an oral story on paper uh, that I could give to my kids and my family and, and for others who, you know, were adoptees or were brats and had similar experiences and they could, you know, it would resonate with them. So um, get the story down first, then, you know, get help because there's lots of help uh, to, to put it all together and package it up. That's, that's my two cents, I guess, if I was going to throw something out. Great, great information um for writers out there I, I genuinely think any information for the struggling writer is is good information because they know they're not alone you know it, it, it's a scary feeling especially when you're trying to actually accomplish something from what you're writing yeah and there's lots of, there is lots of help out there i mean um you can just you know google the crap out of stuff and and you know there'll be somebody who's you know had that experience or you know has been down that road before or can give you pointers and stuff so um i've leveraged a lot of that in the last you know six eight months trying to get it together yeah it's a wonderful tool for yeah. community again like community-centric tools are powerful because again it, it's communication it's it's networking at, at the core it doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing but it matters how you do it right the yeah. you know, form is everything yeah i want to um i i think this is a perfect bridge into our next question here sure. for you do you th uh do the details of your book matter more than your ease of read for a viewer or did you find 
that it was more about the healthy balance, um, you know, less about sacrificing what you're trying to identify with your words, um, and more about just being comfortable with what you're writing. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, there's, there's, there's a fair amount of detail, you know, in the book. Um, but I, I think, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you have to speak with your own voice. Right. So, um, you know, it is me in that, in that book telling a story and I, I tell it the way I talk, I tell it the way I feel. And, um, and I, you know, whatever emotions I felt as I was, um, writing it or experiencing it, you know, is there. Um, so there's probably, you know, my editor, um, you know, told me I wrote too much. Um, and I, I understand that that's why there's a second volume. Um, but, I, and, and that was with well-intentioned. So she wasn't being critical. She was just saying it's a lot. Um, so there's, there's plenty of detail, but I felt like the detail was relevant to, um, a larger understanding of, of, you know, the issues that are in the book, which is, you know, how do you reconnect and what, how does your identity change when, um, when you do reconnect and, and do, or does it change and are what are what are the notions of kinship that are out there and how you know how do you uh you know how are you experiencing is experiencing them now that this other situation has has um you know manifest itself so you know here you are in a new family and and um and and how is that kinship how are those kinship relationships um formed and and strengthened you know all that and so um, that's, you know, that's kind of the focus of the book, but I told that story in, you know, in, in, with my voice that I have, you know, and, um, so I, I do worry, you know, like, well, you know, I, I hope I, I didn't bore anybody, but, but, you know, knowing something about my parents or knowing something about my biological mother and, uh, what she went through and relating that through her letters and, um, her, the interviews I did with her before she passed, uh, and getting that again, getting that out as a story was, was really important. So I didn't sacrifice too many details. Um, and I wrote it in my own voice and I, I think it reads pretty good. Um, some beta readers have said it's, it's a good story. So I trust them. Um, you know, that, that it is and that they'll, that it'll resonate with other people. No, quick question. Beta readers. Yeah. Is that yeah. just a test? Yeah. It's yeah, like a test reader. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you can hire people, but I mean, you can, you know, it, there's, there's, there's a balance. I mean, you can find a friend Um. now, you know, friends don't want to hurt your feelings a lot of times. So they'll, say, yeah, well, this was awesome. It was super great. I loved it. You know, um, Pulitzer prize, whatever, you know, da, da, da. Um, I, I, I got friends and relatives who were a little distant and, you know, they read it and the editor read it. And so these were people who were disconnected to some degree from the emotions in the story. And they, and then they, you know, commented and said, you know, okay, yeah, this was good. Or, um, you know, you're slowing down here or, um, maybe this stuff needs to go in a second you know, second volume, uh, you know, companion book or something. I mean, recounting somebody's history of, uh, you know, where they were in the civil war and what they did is, is admittedly not necessarily germane to the main story of like me finding my adopted or my uh, biological families. Right. So, but it's fascinating. And so that was the backstory stuff, you know, and those kinds of things. You know, Makes for, Montana. 
Oh, it makes for a really good read. Yeah, I tried to I tried to, you know, hit the balance there. So um, so the first volume is really is really about a search and discovery and and reunion with families by an adoptee. You know, that that's what it's really about. And then, like I said, the second part is all the wacky stuff my families did just, you know, just being families and being human, you know, I mean, you know, every, you name it, everything under the sun, you know, there's, there's no new sins under the sun. And believe me, my family is, was as entirely human as everybody else. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I, yeah, I get that. I, I don't even know my full lineage. Um, but I, I do know that I have a member who was an Alcatraz. Yeah. Um, wow. Which is definitely like, it's one of the shocking ones that shocked me. Um, yeah, but it explained I, a lot I, at the same time because my family. Yeah, I had the crazy. I, I had the same. I had the same exact experience. I, my grandpa. I'm named after my grandfather um, Fritz, and uh, you know he was he was kind of a roughhouser when he was growing up. His he was born in uh, early 1900, so like 1904 or so, something like that, and. Um, uh, played football and was a sharp guy. Got his degree from Gonzaga. I'm, I'm I'm in my office. His degree is above me. It's like this big. It's got a big gold seal on it. It's amazing. It's all written in Latin. I mean, he was a smart dude. Became a school teacher. And at some point, at some point, he uh, was elected to be the county treasurer of Shoshone County in Idaho. And for some reason, decided to take money that wasn't his and wound up in, you know, in in Idaho State Penitentiary in Boise, in Boise. I didn't know any of this growing up, and I didn't know that any of this before I started this book. But um, coming along, you know, I'm doing some research, and all of a sudden, here's this like thing that says, "Hey, here's a mugshot of this guy," and I'm like, "That's my grandfather." <laughs> I was like, "What the heck is going on?" So that you know led to you know an excursion into a whole nother you know thread of the story. Like, how did that happen? And the ironic thing is, or the interesting thing is, so he was. You know, he took money. I, I, I think I actually think he was a Robin Hood and I think he distributed it because um, the he pled, you know, he pled guilty. He didn't ask for any extra time. They sentenced him immediately and off he went to, to jail. And the next day, a day or two, next day or so, there was a, um, a public opinion piece in the local paper that said he ought to be exonerated and pardoned. And so I don't know the rest of that story, but I get the sense that he was trying to do something good because this was during the depression, right? So there's a lot of people that were out of money, out of food, out of everything. And I suspect, I can't prove it, but I suspect that he was was stealing money from the, 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 the county. But but was re, you know redistributing it and was giving it to people who didn't have any and um and all of his friends from that period of time were were diehard friends i mean they stayed friends for a lifetime despite what you know the stigma of going to prison so you know weird little things is the rocks you turn over and you're going along and you're you know and you're doing your family history and all of a sudden you find this thing and you're like wow that's that's interesting. That's bizarre. I didn't know about that. So, you know, I found out my grandfather was a convict by seeing his, his, uh, you know, his mugshots on. <laughs> yeah. That is pretty wild, man. I, yeah. I, yeah. I know about, um, some things in my family, like, like similar, um, where yeah. there's, you know, scuttles and like, yeah, my, sure. I, I think, I don't know if it was because my grandpa, I, I think he did go to jail, but I don't know if I'd have to go to the County to see, um probably 
Yeah, it depends on where and 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 uh, but a lot of those records are available, you know. So you can kind of you just have to know where to look, really, and and that's that's kind of the key to a lot of this. But um, yeah, I will also, I will say though, my grandpa Fritz was awesome. He was a great grandpa. Even you know he was taught me how to fish, and um, you know left a huge impression on me. And um, you know I, I loved him uh, dearly. You know, I, of course, as a kid, I didn't know any of this other stuff, but it didn't matter, and it still doesn't matter. Um, yeah, he was a good man. He was a good guy. Yeah, and no, same case with my grandpa. I mean, yeah. he made mistakes uh, exactly. in that time. You know, there was yeah. a lot of anger in the family, and and mm. it's just you know, it, it was a different time for the family unit to exist. Yeah, and yeah, a lot well, of that, I, I think, just sprawls back to the communication was different. Yeah. Well, I think when we were talking earlier, it's all about, you know, the realization that we're, we're all human and we all make mistakes. And that's a theme of the book too, is this, you know, there aren't, there are new, new sins under the sun. Everybody's done, you know, somebody didn't create something new, uh, something bad to do. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's existed since we've been, you know, walking upright. So, um, you know, so infidelity or, or, you know, um, you know, just murder robbery or you know you know whatever i mean what whatever bigamy i mean there's all kinds of i have a counterfeiter like i said in the background you know and he's you know stealing essentially you know also went to prison <laughs> but uh you know all that stuff you know is it's just it's just it's just who we are i mean we're, we're humans and we try and do our best i think that's 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 the standard yeah yeah it's when i'm talking to people about history uh especially u.s history i, I tell them you know it, it we have to remember that this was a mass invasion uh, to a degree. It was a mass invasion. Our country is kind of founded on that, um, mm. where it's, it's not that we have to feel bad for that necessarily actively. Mm. Um, I feel like it's just the situation we have to understand and identify now and work on solutions towards compromising and making it effectively equal if we're we're mm. people that say we're we're about equality let's act on that yeah uh, and, and if that's not what we want as a people if we've defined our country as something different it's time for it's time to redefine our definitions i mean sure. update sure. i, I yeah. don't think there's a problem with updating governments that's it I mean, historically, that's that's all a country being overthrown is is kind of an update to that government. Right. Um, in a degree, it's societies change. You sure. can't expect a country to stay the same through these changes. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I think. I think it's 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 how you change this is what's really important and it's not not uh change isn't bad um i mean our our country's evolved uh, considerably since it was founded i mean we all know that we get taught that in history uh class you now some of our history isn't taught but but uh we know that you know like i said our country's evolved that's that's clear it's just how you manage that change and ideally it should be participative and it should be peaceful uh and we should all you know generally agree that that's what we want to do whatever that change is you know so um that's about as deep as i get into politics <laughs> but, no know, no yeah. I totally yeah. understand. it's yeah. it, for me it's it's more of just like i understand there's a generation of people that don't understand this stuff and it's also our job to make sure that it's known that 
we have it's part of our job as citizens to educate ourselves yeah absolutely it if you want to make politics better a healthier place to be be a better a better citizen yeah absolutely yeah i totally agree you know it is again it comes down to those raw emotions don't don't give in to your anger you don't you know stab your neighbor because they have something you want and you feel like you can't get that um there's just I was going to say, Cameron, you said a while ago, you know, we were talking, uh, you talked about perspective and that's huge, right? And getting, you know, being able to, you know, as people to zoom out and get another perspective, you know, zoom out of the equation and go, I know what I feel, but what does this other person feel and why do they feel that? And then have, you know, a conversation about that and get to the heart of the matter. What is the, what is the real issue? Is there really an issue? And that's something that we're not we're not really willing to do a lot of the time. And that that's kind of led us to say where we are, I think today, you know, as a, uh, you know, as a nation, I mean, um, again, I don't, I don't talk politics much, but I, I think it ultimately comes down to, um, a respectful communication, you know, and, 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 and compromise is, a, is, is, is really, pretty much at the heart of you know our our system of government is being willing to compromise and that means not getting all of these all always getting what you want but you know maybe getting some of it um so no i I agree and and just to kind of close it because i i I don't want to i don't like drawing on politics more than needed to but (laughs) it is a very broad um thing that that interjects in a lot of ways and it um and I just wanted to kind of specify with my comment on saying it's like a mass invasion. The way I, the reason I'm saying it like that is because we may, it may not just be direct actions that cause this. Mm-hmm. It's the indirect passive things that happens because people need to survive. People need to live like trade. Uh, mm-hmm. the common thing u.s history uh, a lot of people sure. know uh, native americans struggled with alcohol because sure. people were trading alcohol um, and mm-hmm. i am not saying by any means that they're the only people that struggle with alcohol far from it but it had an effect on their culture it sure. had Absolutely. a widespread effect um yeah. not again the only factor but th- no. it was an invasion of factors yeah and absolutely that's how I view it as an invasion. It was a, it was projected as such through yeah. circumstance. And, and unfortunately one person's trash is another person's treasure, uh, you know, and vice yeah. versa. Like sure. disease is kind of that trash treasure kind of thing. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, we, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation. It's a difficult issue, um, particularly with Native Americans, because they are challenged. Um, you know, Absolutely. challenged, challenged economically, challenged culturally, challenged politically, et cetera. Da, 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 da. I actually am a big fan of Native American art, and that's led kind of led me into, um, you know, trying to understand more about their uh, dynamic, right? And I'm no way an ex an expert, but um, but I I have great empathy for you know their losses and um not not with not just you know chunks of territory which are considerable but but not loss of you know yeah loss of identity loss of loss you know loss of population i mean just uh, all the challenges um 
And so I'm encouraged, though, um, you know, in certain corners where, you know, Native American artists in particular are finding their voice and they and there's a long tradition of Native American art. This is, you know, not uh, this is often, you know, their expressions of their uh, of their culture or their experience. And, and it's really it's really fascinating and vibrant and powerful stuff. Um, so um I'm always encouraged when I see, you know, or come across a new artist or something that's doing something um, and celebrating their culture and, and trying to, you know, share it with others through their art. It's cool. There's plenty of things to be hopeful for, um, yeah. especially in that regard. I do think we're moving in a healthier direction as a country towards redefining what our relationship with our country's past means with our people. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I agree. Um, I think that's, good i think i don't think anybody has uh um you know i i mean i i think it's good to recognize the realities of our past and it doesn't doesn't mean that we uh well we have certainly to ignore them. it pardon say again oh it just doesn't mean we have to live in them well, I, I think, you know, recognition. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm, I correspond with some people in Canada and what I see all the time is, um, and I think it's really awesome, is that, uh, you know, in a lot of the government um, or official um, uh, things that they do, like if I'm writing to a government agency in Canada, you know, at the bottom is a tagline that just says, hey, I recognize that, you know, we live and work in the ancestral lands of, you know, the Matisse or something. And, um, and that we acknowledge and respect that. And, you know, it's part of, it, it's a little bit of a bumper sticker at the bottom, but it's a really great reminder. Like, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, a lot of what America has experienced in terms of its wealth and power and stuff is, can be attributed to, to, um, the native Americans that lived here before us, you know? So, um, I mean, this place is rich, uh, with, uh, you know, with natural resources and stuff that they uh, stewarded for many, you know, for centuries, for eons, you know, and and uh, and we are the beneficiaries of that. So, we, you know, we just, like the Canadians do, I think they just recognize that, uh, and, and I'm not saying it's perfect in Canada, but I'm just saying they recognize overtly that this is the situation. And I think that's a good step anyway. Absolutely. I, I, I believe it's good to just see, you know, base that we're all we're humanity you know above yeah, all yeah. we're humanity here and and there i mean it, it, if you even go back to uh native america's uh history uh with the origins you know there's there's various things i mean i found there's origins of celtics that mm. uh, ended up making their way to uh parts of the east coast and there's proven like records of yeah. various cultures there that I didn't even know about until this yeah. last year um, of study. And, and yeah, that's it, interesting. Yeah, it's it's greatly interesting. It, and my point being with it that we really can only move forward and seeing our differences as parts of a team mm -hmm. rather than things that constantly have to be at odds uh yeah. you know you know like different nations of people i don't think yeah. those different nations have to necessarily have an enemy on the radar right. all the time right, right, you know right. they, sure. it's 
circumstance again where where things get miscued and and we're unfortunately in in a situation in modern times where there's a bunch of past situations that have come up and we live in the world where we've we pick up on our ancestors problems yeah and and all of us have to deal with that that's not yeah you that's not me that's a society where yeah no i'm totally checking yeah well it's it's super important to have societies be cohesive um for that reason yeah and the the way to cohesion is honest communication and being you know being genuine and uh and uh not manipulative manipulative i can say it and uh you know, um, and, and again, considering the other person's perspective, I think that's huge. Those are the things that you brought up earlier on. So I appreciate that. No, I, I really do appreciate this conversation. I'm, I'm having a blast with you. And <laughs> and that was a perfect segue out of the politics. Um, sure. Honestly, I, I like to leave it there because sometimes, you know, it just sounds good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it can sound you. very bad. So, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um. But we're going to go ahead and um, move on. I wanted to touch back on your details of the book. Do you feel like you have a certain place you want to see your book go? Or is there like a a more of a a feeling you want to invoke in an audience as they're reading it? Well, I I will say this because you give me an opportunity, but... I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write this book for money. Right. I mean, I spent a lot of my money doing this. Um, I mean, I traveled, I think I counted it up. I traveled probably almost 70,000 air miles and drove probably, sheesh, I don't know, maybe five or 6,000 miles to do the homework on this thing. And so at, at its core, it, it was a story. It's a story I wrote for my kids, you know, so that they could understand who I was uh, better and understand maybe a little bit about where they come from too. Um, but you know, it has some universality to it. In other words, there are, you know, in my experience, there's things that I do think will resonate with um, with others. Uh, but um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't write it for money. So, in fact, um, if I get any royalties at all out of the um, eBooks, I just gonna, I'm gonna turn them over and give them back to the museums and genealogical societies and historical societies that kind of help me out. Um, <clears throat> so, so where do I want to see it go? I, I, I would like to see a large readership. I think um, because I, I, I do think I touch on some very fundamental, you know human dilemmas i guess and uh and and i just am sharing my perspective about them and i i think people will be able to read it and it will resonate with them whether you're estranged from a family or whether you know you've had a very coherent and solid upbringing you know it doesn't i think it'll still reach out to people um but the journey itself was pretty i mean i think was pretty amazing and i felt you know that i was uh, being led guided you know shaped um moved in the direction to find uh to find my birth families and um and that i think um 
you know, that journey was really special to me. I, I felt, as I said in the book, that I felt like I had God's hand on my shoulder a lot of the time, and he was just kind of steering me along. And and it was stuff I didn't even know about, and uh, and that, I think, is pretty amazing. So the the story of Discovery is is, is pretty cool, I think, and, um, and very emotional. Um, you know, I can read parts of it today, and I still tear up a little bit, but... Um, but where where I want it to go, uh, I don't expect to have a bestseller, but I, I hope that, you know, for people at least who are adoptees or people who are military brats or people who, in my case, who dealt with alcoholism, alcoholic parents or, um, you know, who had those kinds of challenges as children um, and have felt themselves to be well adjusted and kind of connected as adults can read this and kind of go back and go, yeah, I experienced that. Or there's the name for that thing that I experienced and I didn't know the name of, of, of that feeling or that, um, of that, um, moment. So things, as I said, like disenfranchised grief or, um, you know, um, traumas that come as, uh, you know, as an adoptee or a brat, you know, moving around, um, those things I, I've really kind of tried to elaborate on and, and help people understand. I think that's wonderful. I, I think that puts it in a good frame of, yeah. of light, at least, uh, perspective wise, the, the details on why you want it to get out there, I think are really honest and, and forthright. I, I, I think it's great that you're putting uh, funding towards those uh, associated helps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's great. I, I, I'm all for that kind of stuff. And, and I see exactly where you're coming from, man. Like you're trying to pass on the favor, essentially you're trying to yeah, open that's really gateway for another person. Yeah, absolutely. It says, um, I mean, you know, we've talked, we've talked through the course of this conversation about, um, you know, about being human and about evolving and about uh, communication and about perspective and all those kinds of things. And, and that's really, I mean, really that's kind of at the heart of what I think the story is, is just, um, you know the situation sort of the the, the the plot scenario is a little bit different it's not hollywood obviously but um but you know it's the same elements it's the same human elements that we all deal with you know all the time and uh because it's inherently who we are as humans you know to deal with grief to deal with disconnection to deal with lack of perspective to deal with um you, you know trauma in all kinds of different ways and uh you know, and when you're a kid, you're not always, you're certainly not really well equipped to deal with it. And, and it's not sometimes until we become adults and we learn something about what we experienced um, that we're then able to kind of go, ah, okay, you know, because I can tell people I had a happy childhood, but lots of it was difficult and some of it wasn't fun at all but when you ask me i'm like yeah i was i had a happy childhood you know i remember my birth mother that was one of the first questions she asked me are you happy i'm like yes of course you know being adopted doesn't mean i was inherently unhappy um now you know my parents were sometimes difficult and um and i was difficult because i was a teenager and grown up and full of emotions and hormones and everything else you know so i mean it's typical but um but overall, you know, um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just about finding perspective and understanding where you come from and, and being able to synthesize that into who you are today. You know, and that's again, that's kind of part of the theme of the of the book. It's is, is that. 
No, there's an element of what you just said that I think is fascinating um, to relay to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs has uh, one of the most famous speeches in the tech industry, of course, mm. where he talks about um, connecting the dots. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you're familiar. It's it's a pretty well-known business trope. I, I, sure, I hate sure. to say it like that, but oh, so many yeah, connecting the dots is pretty common vernacular. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and you know, again, like he's not the first uh, to to make the concepts, but but he says it in a way that's that's really well worded for this, where you you really have to hope that the dots will connect in the sure. future, and once you get to that future you kind of realize like, oh, it wasn't that bad, you know, and then you're able to let that go and you're able to let those bad negative elements go. Um, Or at least you hope to get to that point. Right. And, and so, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I think, you know, for me, you know, um, this book was very cathartic, right? I mean, you know, this was exploring stuff that I, you know, with thought in fleeting moments, you know, little snippets of things, you know, floating around your head or as you're growing up, like, oh, why am I like this? Or why, you know, and you're sitting there, you don't have answers, but to spend the time, you know, in this case, you know, six years really, um, to, to find the answers and then put them on paper. Well, that process was, like I said, it was really cathartic. I mean, there were times when I'd never really, you know, shared with you know my kids or my wife or anybody else, you know, close friends, some of the stuff um, that I experienced. And then I'm putting it on a piece of paper and I'm looking at it in front of myself. And I'm, I mean, you know, I'm no, no shame. I'm sitting there just bawling because I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize how impactful that those moments were or that experience was. And, uh, and then to just sort of get through it and go, and, and then, you know, fold it into the story and uh and make it have meaning and relevance to the to the whole um you know that that was a way of you know processing some of this stuff you know and going yeah okay it was you know moving around was traumatic and and my dad's alcoholism was bad you know and um and um you know being adopted is difficult you know in some ways you know and not knowing your genetic origins or your or the reasons why you are who you are right um so yeah, those are challenges and then, you know, but working through it and kind of writing it all out and, uh, and all that, I mean, you know, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was just a giant exercise in self-help, but it was great. <laughs> and, and again, I think at the end, I, uh, the creative part of it came through and, you know, I was, I was able to, you know, put that into, you know, I, I think a coherent story that, that has meaning, should have meaning for more than just my immediate family and more than just uh, my close circle of friends, you know? So that's my fingers crossed. I hope that's the case, you know? Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I really want to read your book actually. Um, (laughs) Well, I hope you do. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I really plan on it. I'm I'm notorious about being bad at reading. Um, You can ask anyone. I, (laughs) but but it's, it's actually a personal goal this year. I'm, I'm really working towards making that different. Uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, I don't want to live in a space where I feel like I'm hindering myself on a, right. a right. perspective where I, it really just comes down to my self-discipline. Really, yeah. I, I need to just take the time. And, and sometimes we don't want to take the time. I uh, totally get you. Yeah, take, I get you. But I think, uh, um, I, I, you know, I'm 
I'm, you know, this close uh, to getting it done. I'm just waiting on some approvals from uh, the folks I work for because they did talk a little bit about my military time and they want to make sure I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said, which I didn't. But, you know, they're going to check. And uh, sure. And, and then and then we should be good to go. Um, and I'm hoping to have it. Um, you know, out on, you know, Kindle or through Ingram Spark, some of these companies that help, you know, authors self-publish uh, before fingers crossed before the end of this month. Um, I know how bureaucracies work because I'm part of it. And uh, so, you know, my request for um, review of a, you know, a particular chapter about my military time. And I say, you know, they said, eh, we'll get it done and it'll be you know, a week or two. And I'm like, yeah, I know what that means. That means like it's going to be a month or so. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I'm trying to be realistic and patient about it. And then uh, for the second volume, uh, I, I, like I said, I, I have got um, some stuff that I need to track down in terms of uh, making sure I'm not you know, I'm doing fair use of, uh, of of somebody else's material because there's some really good stuff in there about my great grandfather and his time as a um, outfitter and guide in British Columbia in the in the early 1900s. Just amazing, fascinating stuff. Um, so um, I've uh, sourced a book that um, my great grandmother wrote, and I just want to make sure we're we're good there and some other things too. Oh, I can't wait! I, and honestly, if it's a uh... Uh, okay with you I'll, I'll go ahead and post the links when you do get it published on this episode yeah. below yeah um, and well, we've been you know, talking about it but i haven't even said what the title is it's called um from this dust and um you know that title for me you know talked about my alluded to my connection to these ancestors that have gone so you know from dust to dust and also um being from somewhere that's important and here in hawaii um the aina as i said earlier is really important to me um and um hawaii is full of red dirt you know um, like a lot of places um a lot of iron in our soil from the volcanoes but um but being of this dust is also really important to me being from from here and um and embracing the culture and uh, and the lifestyle that is Hawaii and, uh, and, and knowing my immigrant parents moved here, uh, to have a better life. And I, all those things are like huge to me. Right. So I, I understand that. I, yeah. I chose the title and from this dust and, um, I don't know if everybody will get it, but that's what it means. <laughs> so. No, I, you know, it's someone who grew up around nature and, um, and you saw my nature, Plymouth County, it's gorgeous up there, but yeah. you know, I, I'd be the first to tell you if someone ruined that, I would cry. I would just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things you, you just know that it's, it's special, you know, it, yeah. it's irreparable and yeah. your, your heart literally is in that land. Like, and, and so I can, I can respect your values in that um, yeah, state. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. It's, it's important. It's a beautiful thing. I, you know, yeah. we're able to come together from different communities, different walks of life and different generations yeah, uh, sure. and still find relatability. And that, that gives yeah. me hope uh, as a youth. Yeah. I hear you. I'm, 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 I'm appreciative of being with you. I'm to be honest with you today. So this has been very cool. No, it's honestly been my pleasure. And, you know, this, this, uh, really segues us well into our closing statements. Um, and I wanted to see if, if you would have any books, uh, articles, sources of media that you find 
uh, fascinating you'd like to share with the audience? Something that touches your heart? Well, um, I, I, this is a hard question. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, I've read, uh, there's some, there's some great, you know, great literature out there. And <clears throat> I, you know, some of them touch me because uh, they're similar stories of loss and redemption or finding, you know, a connection and stuff like that. Um, you know, um, I, I'm reluctant to kind of just, you know, give a reading list. Um, I, what I would say is I think the classics are the classics for a reason and they tell the common human story in just many different ways. And so even reading the classics, I was really, um, classic literature, classic, you know, English literature in this particular case, um, is, you know, is really, um, illuminating and uplifting. Uh, I, I, I guess that's where I'd, <clears throat> where I kind of s- sort of stop. I, I mean, I, I think of a title or two, but um, you know, um, it may not they may not appeal to everybody. I like uh, I like stories with um, some romance in them, and I don't mean romance novels. I mean stories that are about uh, commitment and human connections and love and um, and honoring that even through adversity and and um, um, you know, those, those kinds of stories are really uh, pretty cool, but, um, you know, you can find them, like I said, you can find them in the classics. You can, you, you know, um, yeah, you, you, it, it's, I'm dancing around on this because I just, uh, I feel like, well, you know, I, I, um, there's no right or wrong answer. There is no right or wrong answer, you know, but if I was looking at my shelf behind me, I'd probably say, oh, well, this, this story here is really good. And, um, um, you know, but I'm kind of on the spot and so I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know which one to say. The brain's a pretty uh, powerful thing when it comes to podcasts and recommending books. Uh, there's yeah. some people I've had on the show that, uh, and in our panel too, that, they can't help, but they got to, they got to grab the book and, Oh, yeah. I was like, this is it. Yeah. I mean, I, I read a lot of fiction and I, I like, you know, like everybody else. I mean, I like crime novels and fiction and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm enjoy it, you know? Um, but the ones that move you, you know, kind of in your soul are the great pieces of literature. And usually those are, you know, Nobel prize winners or Pulitzer prize winning kinds of, um, pieces. And, uh, I mean, uh, so there, there are a, a number of them, um, uh, you know, out there and I'm struggling right now to think of one that, uh, to think of the one that I really want to say, but, um, it's, it's, uh, it's escaped me. So I gotta, I gotta you know, go. It, Oops. I don't know. It, it, and you know, if you remember it post show, you know, sometimes that stuff comes up. I, I told yeah, you to yeah. all the time. Oh, right? we'll hang up or whatever. And I'll go, Oh shoot. Is this yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll link yeah. it up uh, in our uh, description for the viewers as well. If, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd say you uh, generally, I love your answer, by the way. I, I oh, think it's well, great thanks. to suggest, uh, you know, a, a theater of books, so to speak. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's effective because uh, we're in a society that's dealing with a lot of deassociation, disassociation, yeah. sure. books really help yeah. socialize you in another form. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, from a film perspective, it's probably the answer is a little easier for me because um, there are a couple of powerful films out there that I think really resonated with me. Um, and these are fairly old, you know, so for a younger generation, you'd have to, you know, kind of dig them out somewhere. But um, Out of Africa is is a phenomenal story. of It's a love story. And it's about two people committing to each other and, you know, over the course of their uh, lives and and, and and doing it in kind of an unconventional way, right? I mean, so they're not married and and, and there's challenges with that, but this is deep, a heartfelt commitment to each other. And it's uh, Merle Streep and Robert Redford. You can, you can, you know, Google it and find it. Another, a good one, and I know there's a new version of it out. I haven't seen it, um, but The Color Purple really hit home for me. This is a story about, you know, a woman who has to give up her children. They're taken from her and she spends, you know, kind of a lifetime looking for them. And, um, you know, the reconnection uh, piece at the end. I mean, I'm just blubbering, you know, usually when I'm watching it and, uh, but cause it's powerful for me because it's the same sort of emotions that I experienced, um, finding my birth mother and finding, you know, my birth families and stuff. So, uh, those are two films that illustrate a little bit about what I, th- what I, I think are powerful media, you know, powerful, um, uh, expressions of, of, um, artistry, uh, that, you know, talk to our, I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but talked to our, you know, human condition, right. And what we all kind of want, you know, um, connection and we all want love and we all want, um, um, coherence and, you know, an order and, um, and reliability and, 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 uh, um, you know, compassion with each other. And, and that's what you get, you know, in the ideal family, but I obviously don't always have ideal families and, you know, again, that was part of what I found too. I have a question for you and I actually wanted to ask this at the beginning. Okay. Uh, you made me remember. Um, I wanted to see if you're into Anthony Bourdain's story at all. I, um, I, I have not, I've, I, you know, when Anthony Bourdain was on and he was doing his shows, I would, I'm not a big TV guy. So I, I, but I would catch a few of them and I, I love them. And, 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 and I haven't read his, uh, the biography or whatever, um, the recent, yes. Right. So the definitive biography, right. Good on you for having it. That's cool. He's a guy who I kind of, in some ways aspire to be because Anthony Bourdain um, and, and, and again, I'm not a TV guy, so I don't like really, you know, I don't watch a whole lot of television. Um, but what I liked about Anthony Bourdain was he was willing to go to places that were uncomfortable. And I mean, outside of his comfort zone. Right. And he would go to somewhere and he would kind of throw himself into it and go, Hey, we're going to eat, you know, like frog, you know, frog guts or something, or we're going to do this, or we're going to, you know, it's going to be really, you know, this kind of exotic, um, you know, interesting experience culinarily. Right. But he, at the same time, you know, in his shows, he was, you know, exposing other parts of their culture and stuff. And and he was so he was doing what I've always wanted to do since I said, I, you know, when I was 15 and I figured out, oh, this is what I really want to be. I want to be a Renaissance man. I want to be a bon vivant. A bon vivant is a guy who, you know, it's like an Epicurean. You know, you kind of you, you don't necessarily live 
poshly or you know with opulence and lots of money but you're just out there for the experience you know and you want to try something new all the time and you want to push the boundaries and you know and you want to connect with people and and you want to master the different attributes of human knowledge so you know the arts and the sciences and um you know, on literature and, and, uh, and all of that. And, you know, so, you know, personally that he resonates with me because, because I think he was doing that. And, um, and that's the kind of thing I want to do now. I don't necessarily want to have a show where I go around and eat weird food all over the world, but, um, but, you know, in my own little circle, in my own little life, you know, I'll, I want to do, I want to, you know, chase adventures and uh, I want to, you know, you know, not uh, comfort is great comfort is really a good thing but i want to live sometimes uncomfortably outside of my zone you know and so yeah i mean i do things like okay i'll go climb mount fuji or i'll go do this outdoor you know pct um hike you know and where i'm disconnected and outside of my comfort zone because you know you can make a misstep and you can die out there and that's terrible but it does happen and um so elements of risk that you kind of incorporate in your life you know that keep you alive um you know those are the kinds of things that I, I i like doing and anthony bourdain is is a really good example of of that you know and I, I i know he had a lot of challenges and struggles and and um and i respect that um but as he lived his life i thought it was really really well done and he gets a bravo for me for sure yeah i i truly wish both him and robin williams stuck around a little longer man those yeah. two i i kind of was right late to the draw i i literally yeah. i i grew up watching robin williams i i'm just so bad with actors names that it didn't really click that that was mm-hmm. robin williams i just knew right. oh that's the night of the museum guy you know or, yeah or, you know <laughs> drawfire yes uh, exactly but um excuse me doubtfire some people are gonna really hate me if i call it Droughtfire. so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but uh the the thing with with um robin williams is i i learned about him like three weeks before he passed unfortunately yeah, yeah and it was just you know the timing of it i've always been i've always had weird timing with that kind of stuff and and um, again that personal journey if it's weird to me it's weird like i, yeah. I can't change that but it, it happened at a weird point for me where i was already depressed and seeing that uh, that was a, you know, I, I kind of took the time to understand the situation best I could because yeah. this was someone I, I wanted, you know, I considered someone I would love to be a friend of. And yeah. it's like, why would someone like that take their own life? Well, yeah, when you understand how, how it happens and, and the, the, yeah. the real story behind it, right. These, because this is an individual who made a choice, uh, yeah. and had a, had a path and, and, um, unfortunately sometimes you know life makes it really apparent that our time is limited and some others have different stories and and different effects on on people because of that Um, yeah yeah these guys were you know they were challenged right i mean and and uh and it's it's tragic in a sense that they couldn't find a way forward um I mean, and, and, you know, and, and in the end, you know, we're deprived of their talent and their, you know, awesomeness. Um, 
I am very, you know, empathetic to to people who are um, struggling, you know, mentally and emotionally and psychologically with, you know, issues. And but I, you know, I am really hopeful that there are, and I know there are um, agencies and organizations and phone calls and hotlines and stuff that are out there um, to help people. And I just, you know, I would hope that, you know if people were feeling that, that they would reach out to that and just take another day, you know, take another day, um, to just think it through and, um, you know, and then maybe make a different choice because, yeah, because everybody's got something to give and, and depriving us, you know, prematurely of that is, is, is sad and it's tragic and, you know, and it, and it's disruptive and it, and, you know, and it hurts people, it hurts the people who stay behind, you know, and, and they're in pain and and they're struggling to understand you know and it, it's hard so um yeah very no, it, uh a very serious topic you know but um, yeah, it's heavy yeah. and, and, and it it's it's uh you know it, i like what you said there though it, it really is like and, and i understand the people that know robin williams situation like i understand why uh yeah. but it's it doesn't mean that the form had to happen the way it did. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's, that is societal pressures. It's a lot of things. It's yeah. a lot of factors. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Who am I to speak on it? Ultimately? Yeah. I, I'm but not commenting on, you know, what drives those particular people um, to do what they it, did. But. As, as viewers, as members of society who have definitely interacted with, with the side of these individuals, uh, yeah. I I feel personally that the message they put out is is of hope, and it is one where they wanted to leave on that good note. They wanted to to impress you, um, mm. and, and that's really what they live for. They live to to impress upon uh, you a, a better way to maybe handle and and see life. Like you know, maybe with a little humor, maybe with a little. Uh, exploration like those yeah. two were those two were vast explorers I mean yeah. in their own rights yeah no and for that they deserve immense credit no doubt I mean they're both cutting edge in their own way and I you know they're appreciated as humans and artists and um, and changers you know influencers whatever you want to call it um, it's just tragic that that, um, that their opportunity to contribute was cut short I'll just leave it yeah no, I wholly agree. And, yeah. and I honestly, uh, I just wanted to bring it up because especially with Anthony Bourdain, I, I saw a, a similar connection with how you kind of are trying to display what your experience was. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's like you're very much focused on that quality. Um, but you have the quantity too. You, know? <laughs> you, you, you found the quantity and you sure. didn't expect to find. Um, right and it, that's beautiful you know that's that's yeah. the journey we're all talking about i i know if we probably talked to anthony today he'd say uh and i i'm pretty sure based off of interviews like he didn't expect to ever put out shows that long you know? yeah yeah but sure. sometimes you just roll with the punches and and you make yeah. something beautiful out of it you get yeah, crumbled up and, and just like uh just like life uh do, life gives you that opportunity you know life gives you that opportunity right Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, this is a great place uh, to segue into your closing statement. If, if you have anything that you'd like to close out uh, the audience with, 
So well, funny. I just want to say thanks, Cameron. I mean, I, I, I thank you to you. I appreciate it very much. Um, just for the opportunity to talk about, um, you know, talk about the book a little bit and some of the other things we touched on. Um, good conversation, right? Um, and I appreciate uh, I, I appreciate you personally staying in touch. And um, because you know, a lot of times in the PCT community, you 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 bump into people, and it's you know we're like atoms bouncing off each other a little bit. And you know, the interactions are almost always good. But you know, you you move on, and you you know you don't. You don't you don't see anybody again, you know what I mean? And that's fine. It's totally good. That's kind of what life is. Um, but in this particular case, um, you know, you were generous and, uh, gave me the ride and I super appreciate it. And, uh, and it was all fortuitous that it fit together and, um, that, you know, we had a mutual friend that helped us out that way. And, um, and so that's why, you know, I think sometimes that there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff beyond our control that we're just, maybe players on the stage, so to speak. And that, you know, um, the direct, the big directors behind us are kind of orchestrating things to move us into different situations to be able to have relationships or to meet each other and, um, you know, get something good out of it. So in the end of the day, you know, just really thankful for, um, you, uh, um, you know, staying, uh, you know, we, we continuing our relationship and, um, and how it started. It was really cool. And, uh, and then having offering me the opportunity to just come on your, um, podcast and, and, and talk a little bit. I really, I, I can't thank you enough. It's been awesome. Uh, man, I, I, you know, the feeling's definitely mutual. Uh, one of, of great respect and, and, uh, it's, it's really been an honor to have you on. I, I enjoy your banter and, and converse conversing on, on these subjects. And, yeah. you know, I can tell you're very, uh, you're very intellectual. Like I, I like to, to focus around where, where it's, it's, it's more about that journey with a conversation rather than sure. what you have to tell that other person. I, I really get the sense that you enjoy this. You enjoy being here in, in, in this interaction. And I appreciate Thanks. that. Yeah, cool. I did. I have. And if you have me back, I'll enjoy it again. <laughs> well, well, if you uh, if you want to stick through, you'll be our next uh, and our first official podcast guest on the Intellectual Adventure podcast. Okay, that sounds cool. We'll talk I, about that. Yeah, I, I actually actually uh, look forward to that discussion and and um, the future here. So, okay. thank you again, Fritz. And and honestly, it's been a pleasure today. I hope everyone enjoys this episode, and we will connect on the next. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Thanks again, Fritz, for being on the show. We had a lot of fun with this one. I really think it was an educational discussion. Overall, I look forward to the future of the show through this year. We have some more guests scheduled to be on the show soon, so stay tuned and we will be featuring as soon as possible what's to come. I wanted to update you on one thing before I leave. Sasquatch Farms has been improving their website and their list of available items on the site. If that's something that interests you, please visit them at sasquatchfarmcbd.com for all your latest CBD needs. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed today's show on the World Networking Podcast. Until next time. <laughs>